You know, Scott, sometimes life can be so complicated. I agree, but what if we could start with some simple mathematical rules and go from there? This is the Phantasmagorical Think Tank. This episode is in memoriam to John Conway, who died earlier this year. Uh, we will be discussing one of his most famous findings, the Conway Game of Life. Uh, as you might have guessed from the intro, basically the Game of Life or Life Game is a simple, almost part thought experiment, part board game, part computer algorithm, where there are a handful of very simple rules, and from this basic... Uh, math that anybody can understand these profound gorgeous almost artistic consequences follow from them so starting off with our first rule the first rule is about the makeup of the world it's a two-dimensional grid of equally sized squares and the world is in uh, theory infinite but in practice many times that's not possible due to computer memory but uh ideally infinite yes mm-hmm which is why I mentioned it's part algorithm, part board game, because you can model them as checkers on a Go board or uh, checkers on a chessboard or on a computer simulation. But yes, it's like an infinite chessboard. Uh, what's the second rule? Going back to the squares themselves, not only are they equally sized, but each square is either in an alive state or a dead state. The third rule is that time passes, but in incremental steps. Uh, this means that each board state happens right after the other. When we get into how the pieces interact, it's important to know that they interact based on that time stamp, like that increment of time when they move to the next increment of time. Not one piece sees a change, and then other pieces will see a change based on that. One piece changing at a time, it's all pieces changing for each increment. Yeah, I, th I think that's the best way of explaining a somewhat difficult concept, yeah. So you alluded to it, but the time exists to allow for interactions between the squares. Would you kindly explain the three rules that dictate how these living or dead squares interact with each other? So because they're equally spaced and how it's set up, each square is surrounded by eight adjacent squares, naturally. And if a cell is alive and two or three of the cells around it are alive, then that cell will continue to live. I said three rules a moment ago, but now I'm saying like three and a half or four because it kind of poses the question, is that even a rule if the rule is nothing happens in this situation? <laughs> uh, but yes, the next rule is if there are four or more living cells in the eight squares around a living square, that square will sadly be dead on the next step as if from overpopulation or perhaps not enough resources spread throughout the group. Rule six, a living cell with one or fewer living cells around it will also die from underpopulation. How sad to die of loneliness, but there is hope because the last and most heartwarming rule is that if there's a dead cell with precisely three living cells in the eight squares around it, it will be alive on the next step as if it was born. And that's all. Uh, it's only like five, six, or seven rules, depending on how you count. And so what sort of things can we do with these very basic rules? 
So with those very simple rules in mind, Matt, how do you actually play this game, so to speak? That's part game, part simulation. Well, the interesting thing is it's considered a zero-player game. I mean, sure, you set it in motion, but once you set it in motion, you basically have no interaction with it outside of this. You don't control the rules or make any decisions. It all works on its own, as you said, in the simulation. The only part you really play is starting off the initial state of the board by setting certain formations to alive or dead and then seeing where they go from there. Yeah, and you can have it however you see fit. You can have it be totally random whether a cell is alive or dead. Oh, I should probably pause and say, when I say cell, I mean square. Um, you can have specific patterns that you map out meticulously. You can just draw a smiley face, whatever you so, so see fit. But you sort of step back as soon as you press the play button. And this is where the game of life gets really darn cool. Obviously, the way you begin the game affects how the game is going to go later down the line. But what's really amazing is that there are a handful of very simple patterns that we call organisms that naturally develop based from the math. Can you expand on that, Matt? Uh, so an example of uh, organism that develops is, say, the glider, which zooms across the board into infinity, just going in a direction and going through this cycle of self-repeating patterns between a number of cells clustered together that operate in a way where they move without moving. Yeah, it's um, there's a thing called the fallacy of composition where we naturally think that like, oh, if each individual thing in a set has a property, then surely the set has a property. Well, that's not so. Like, even though each individual square doesn't move, when you have a set of five or so squares, uh, that is the glider, the pattern itself appears to move across the board. And what's really remarkable is that gliders pop up everywhere. Like, it kind of doesn't really matter how you begin the board. The odds that gliders will just start popping up from the math is very, very high. This glider is an example of a spaceship, which is one of the three basic types of organisms that tend to develop within Conway's game of life. Scott, would you like to explain the next types? Yeah, so the second would be oscillators, that is patterns that do move and go through cycles, but ultimately not just return to their initial state, but uh, return to their initial location. Uh, for example, there's a cute little thing called the tumbler, where it wiggles up, then pauses, then wiggles down, then pauses. So it does move to a small degree, but it keeps returning to its same location off into infinity. It's honestly kind of adorable. And then the third kind would be still life, which is exactly as it sounds. These really interesting patterns where no new cells in it in the immediate vicinity come alive, no new cells die, and they're kind of hanging out in this beautiful static equilibrium off into infinity. And when I say off into infinity, I mean that in the time domain, not the space domain. So one of the cool things is that these can also get more complicated. So though gliders are a very common occurrence, there's also more sophisticated versions of spaceships that have been seen to occur, such as lightweight spaceships, which saunter along in a straight line, much like a glider in that way, but tend to be more sophisticated in their patterns. And if you want to go even further, a more rare sight is the heavyweight spaceship, which is something like a set of 14 living dots that also zooms in a straight line. So what's really remarkable is that if you noticed ideas of motion were nowhere in our original seven rules, things that seem so fundamental like motion are actually just the inevitable result of a basic rule set. 
So how exactly did Conway come up with these rules that gave us all these things? Well, he had three simple criteria, the first of which was there should be no initial pattern or configuration for which there is a simple proof that the population can grow without limit. Basically saying that no matter what I put, I, I shouldn't be able to prove that it will limitlessly grow in this infinite space. Uh, the second criteria was there should be initial patterns that apparently do grow without limit. So in the infinite space, they should be able to grow without limit, but you can't prove it still based on the first assumption. And third, there should be initial patterns that grow and change over some time before coming to one of three possible endings. Either they fade away, settle into a stable state so it doesn't really change, or it enters an oscillating phase, like we mentioned, where it just goes back and forth between some patterns, but always going back to some initial thing and then going through the pattern all over again. So as you can imagine, it took a lot of experimentation and trial and error for Conway to find the right rules. But this is the great philosophical idea which I would like to pose, and that is Conway's game of life sort of blurs the line between invention and discovery. For example, here's the question, did Conway invent the glider or did he simply discover the glider? Like, as you said, if Conway invented rules which naturally develop into really interesting oscillating patterns, did he invent the oscillating patterns? Like, could he have known that medium weight spaceships would arise from that or did he pause after seeing the gliders? Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's not necessarily he set out and said, oh, well, I'm going to create a pattern that will create these gliders. He said, I'm going to play by these rules that I created. I set something up, and then eventually the gliders made themselves apparent through various setups. Yeah, like did the gliders present themselves to Conway, or did Conway conjure up the glider? It's kind of like um the Library of Babel, you know, where does invention end and discovery begin? Yeah. So we mentioned that certain simple patterns like gliders, spaceships, tumblers begin to develop. But what's really cool is at the macro level, the sum total of all these interacting organisms can create these utterly magnificent uh, systems, so to speak, almost like a whole interacting ecosystem. For example, uh, there's a shape called the R-pentomino. It's a very simple five-square pattern. And if you have time zero be the R-pentomino and you just press play on uh, the game of life, the simulation erupts into this gorgeous forest of living squares. Uh, from these five living squares, it takes over 1,100 time steps to stabilize into just uh, still life oscillators and gliders. Uh, it creates six of them throughout its path. There are 15 still life patterns and four oscillator patterns. And so the beauty is that something as simple as an R shape can create this magnificent jungle of information transfers. Ain't that cool? And in a Conway's Game of Life terminology, this pattern is what's called a Methuselah. There's an old Bible passage that said Methuselah lived uh, past the age of 900 years. And so since this takes 1,100 time steps, which is longer than 900, it's called like a Conway Game of Life Methuselah or just a Methuselah. Uh, my personally favorite pattern is the acorn. It basically starts out with these this very simple six cell pattern, but then it explodes into this spellbinding jungle uh, that has at one point over 1,000 living cells and it takes 5,200 
time steps to stabilize, and creating over a dozen gliders that zoom into infinity in the process. And I should say, like, it's not that it creates a dozen gliders total, but rather it creates at least 12 gliders that escape into infinity with many more gliders that get com like sort of smack into other gliders creating new things and spaceships smacking into spaceships etc etc it's honestly like a, a majestic sight to behold it could in theory be considered art in its beauty and reading up on the r pentomino on conway life wiki the implication seems to be that Conway didn't meticulously design the R Pentomino. He just he was just sort of experimenting and poof, this is what he discovered. That said, there are a number of people who do actually go out and intentionally sort of create certain things. Right, Scott? Oh, you bet. Uh it's almost become I guess you could say like a medium of art to like create fun, interesting structures in the game of life. Uh, one thing that I really love and which is of uh, great significance, it's called the Gosper Glider Gun, where it's basically like a machine, so to speak, that systematically shoots out uh, gliders in the same direction at regular intervals. So if you like um, design one in a, a simulation that you can find on the internet and hit the play button, it goes pew, 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 glider after glider out into infinity. It's kind of cute and kind of fun. So would that be considered one of those ones that uh, Conway and his criteria described as something that's growing without limit since it is continuously shooting gliders and gliders continue the same pattern, just moving? Yes, and if I remember correctly, I think Conway himself didn't actually invent the glider gun. It was, like, uh, another mathematician. See, that's kind of the beauty is that, like, if you go onto, like, the Life Wiki and look at all the different fun, interesting inventions, like, a bunch of different people have discovered a bunch of different things. kind of takes some good creativity. Yeah, maybe thinking, like, how can you put these together to create another thing given the pieces other people have discovered? Mm-hmm. There's also a fun pattern. It's pretty simple. It's called The Dinner Table by Robert Wainwright. It almost looks like four objects passing something around between them, like... It looks like four things standing will like around a dinner table that are kind of like passing the plate between them in a circle. And so it, it it's an oscillator. So it zooms out uh, for, for all eternity. But it's really cute and fun to watch. Hmm. Uh, another fun thing is called the News Shuttle uh, by David Buckingham. It's simply gorgeous. It, it It's almost like this complex flower. It, it looks beautiful. Uh, another one is the Puffer Train, which is a big tractor-like spaceship that runs across and leaves debris in its wake. And there's a version of the Puffer Train which leaves specifically Gosper glider guns in its wake. So putting together the Puffer Train, which normally leaves debris in its wake, with the glider gun, which will constantly leave gliders going out in the same direction, uh, kind of a cool mashup of these two concepts that people had found separately. Mm-hmm. It also poses some fun infinity paradoxes where each individual glider gun shoots out infinitely many gliders but this puffer train shoots out infinitely many glider guns which each shoot out infinitely many gliders <laughs> so surely the puffer train shoots out more gliders than just the one glider gun on its own but how can you shoot out more than infinite gliders <laughs> a question for another episode you said it we could just spend our whole life contemplating infinity and the difference between countable and incountable infinity. Like, the number of real numbers between 0 and 1 is the same number of real numbers between 0 and 2. 
That doesn't make sense, but we're, we're getting off topic. So here's another really uh, interesting philosophical question, and that is, could something as sophisticated as life or even consciousness evolve in a world that operated on these rules? It might sound ridiculous at first, but consider that, as we hinted at in our intro, our own universe just reduces down to very simple, basic rules about interacting atoms and quarks. And so if you zoom out in the game of life and see trillions upon trillions of cells interacting, like, could we produce something as sophisticated as life? Almost as if Conway was like a deity and he was like, here are the rules of physics and here's the matter I'm going to dump into it. Mm -hmm. And let's see where that goes from there. And then all of a sudden humans developed because those rules just happen to create. Yeah. Like the human brain is the sum total of, uh, what, a trillion neurons, but each individual neuron is just obeying the, the simple, basic, straightforward, deterministic laws of chemistry. Uh, obviously, you know me and free will from episode nine. But yeah, it's kind of the same thing. Like, could we imagine this unthinkably large machine where there are like, a hundred trillion stations and each station like shoots out a glider gun to other stations and there's like a binary zero one where like either it's a zero and no glider or one and there is a glider could you produce something as sophisticated as a human brain with this hypothetical great majestic machine hmm. interesting why thank you Yes, I just uh, got finished with a philosophy class, and I'm taking another philosophy class in the fall, so my philosophy meter has been cranked up. <laughs> so I'd like to actually go on a tangent and leave the game of life behind to sort of uh, zoom in on this philosophical question about uh, artificial intelligence. So to answer this question of could life or even consciousness evolve in this world based on Conway's rules in an infinite space... Let's go to John Searle and his Chinese character thought experiment. Imagine you are in a room with nothing but an encyclopedia of if-else statements that says, if you see this Chinese character, write this Chinese character. Or if you see this set of Chinese characters, write this set of Chinese characters. No, you do not know the meaning of these Chinese characters. You do not speak Chinese, but you do understand the book because it's clearly saying if this set Right, this set. Uh, there is a slit between you and another room. The person in the other room has a way of writing and a piece of paper. Both rooms have uh, sufficient quantities of paper and writing utensils to communicate for an egregiously long time. <laughs> but the man in the other room does speak Chinese. He doesn't have a book. There's nothing there. He just knows how to read and write in Chinese and understands what all the characters mean. So... Theoretically, this person writes something down and hands a piece of paper through the slit. You get the piece of paper, and you go to your encyclopedia, and you do as the encyclopedia says. You read the characters, and you say, oh, it says this one, so i got to write this one back. So you write, and you write, and then you hand it back. And what you say makes sense because you followed these rules. It, it makes sense. They're real Chinese characters that make sense to someone who can read or write Chinese. But you don't actually know Chinese. So what this thought experiment is arguing is... If you as a person don't know Chinese but are following these if-else statements that do communicate something that can be represented as your knowledge of Chinese, can a computer not in the same way, given simple if-else statements and on-and-off switches and programming languages that write certain things, create nearly the illusion of artificial intelligence rather than actual artificial intelligence? 
would the computer not actually know Chinese or just be representing itself as something that knows Chinese? Would it not actually be intelligent, but representing itself as something that has intelligence, but doesn't? Yeah. So you, the listener, are probably wondering, what on earth does this have to do with Conway's Game of Life? So John Searle presented this thought experiment as an attempt to disprove the possibility of artificial simulated electrical intelligence. Uh, for example, in episode four, Mitsuku, like, um, we typed in, like, hello, how are you? And Mitsuku said back, I'm good, how are you? But Mitsuku wasn't genuinely feeling good, and it didn't genuinely wonder um, how we were feeling. It was just an if-then statement. It was just obeying a command. Like, I think in episode four, I kept referring to Mitsuku as a she because it because she felt so realistic, but really, it, it it's not a she, it's an it. So when it comes to the question of could John Conway's game of life create artificial intelligence with this hypothetical network of trillions of stations sending information in the form of gliders, could like could ones and zeros represented by gliders translate into genuine information and genuine first person experiences? John Searle says no. But because I am biased and opinionated, I would like to present two counter-arguments for why I actually don't agree with John Searle. And I, I would actually take the standpoint that, yes, I think if reality was Conway's Game of Life, I think it really could create intelligence. So my first uh, counter-argument is simply that the whole point of the thought experiment is to claim that I could never learn Chinese uh, from an arbitrary number of interactions with this encyclopedia. But the issue is, isn't that exactly how humans learn language in the first place? Like, surely the way babies and toddlers learn Chinese in the first place is by watching their parents talk in Chinese. Even though they don't speak the language yet, they hear these sounds exchanged between two people and they eventually pick up on it. So I would argue in the character's thought experiment, if you have like an arbitrarily high number of interactions, I would say you would eventually learn Chinese. Like you'd say, oh, he always starts with this one character. Maybe that means hello. Oh, he always ends this conversation with the same character. Maybe that means goodbye or something like that. So I would say his thought experiment is insufficient. The second counter argument is that it sort of proves too much. His whole point is that like a digital electrical system could never produce real first-person experiences the way a human brain can. But the thing is, a human brain is an electrical system. The neurons in our brain send each other electrochemical signals. Like, we are just a very complex machine, and our neurons really do transfer digital information that gets transferred into first-person experiences. So surely, by his reasoning, it would prove that I'm not conscious and I don't have first-person experiences, which seems ludicrous. Also, if I may add, it may seem like when you observe Conway's Game of Life just on your own computer or something or a program that's meant to run it, that it, it would be impossible. Just looking at it, it seems so impossibly unintelligent, just doing its thing, going with the commands. But you also have to understand that Conway's Game of Life is uh, theoretically infinite and that in our own way, like the computer that you're running it on or the program that you've written may not be as complex as something that we would associate with like our brain. Mm, I see your point. Like imagine there are like two 
Conway's Game of Life humans having a podcast right now being like, huh, this computer engineer invented this thought experiment. Imagine a quark is zooming towards another quark and they interact with the electromagnetic and strong force. Like, huh, what buffoonery? You can make anything sophisticated from that. Yeah, like... Like, you, you mentioned our brain, but our brain is made up of cells, which are made up of atoms, which are made up of electrons and protons and neutrons, and which are made up of quarks. And all of, all of these, like, there's so, such a large quantity of components that go into making a brain. But when you look at Conway's Game of Life and the sense of what your laptop or personal computer can run compared to the complexity of how much of that you would need just to have those interactions and then create a human brain... Not to mention that it's like going state by state and not like in time. All those things added together, like, yeah. Yeah, like um, we talked about psychic numbing with uh, death toll in um the trolley problem. I think it's the same thing where like I think John Searle is kind of underestimating the power of infinity in this situation. Golly, Matt, I've just been so negative for the past ten minutes, complaining and counter arguing. What if we finished off this segment with something jolly, joyous, and positive? Well, good news. What is this good news? Conway's Game of Life does not just stop with the rules Conway invented, because just like any game, you got house rules. Yeah, variations on the game. Classic nuanced takes on something familiar. Yeah, for example, there is High Life by Nathan Thompson, which adds a rule about when dead cells can come alive, as initially stated in the previous rules, dead cells only came alive under one condition, surrounded by three live cells. Here, there's a second condition where they can also come alive if they are surrounded by exactly six live cells. Yeah, this might not seem like a big change. It might You might think like, oh, that's like one extra thing, but it actually creates this cool change, which is uh, replicators will occur more frequently. Replicators just sort of being like a mitotic division. Yeah, where it like starts off and then it will just branch out and create two and then it will continue making those two and those two will create another two sets of patterns and so on. Yeah, so the beauty is that you can start with a simple basic shape and come back tomorrow and it'll be like a huge chain or a huge line of identical shapes like that all in succession. Beautiful, eh? Some other cool changes is what if instead of being on a square board, you are on a hexagonal board? Uh, another idea is what if in two dimensions you are in three dimensions? And another fun thing is rather than just having a binary alive or dead, what if you had more states, for example, like close to dead, in danger, uh, mostly alive, at peak health. On Wikipedia, there's a really fun animation where it shows a hexagonal grid and four states, and it honestly looks gorgeous, and all the funky, bizarre oscillators that exist in that world. And the interesting thing about on a hexagonal grid is... It's really just, it's actually less. It's less uh, neighbors. Huh, yeah. Huh, how bizarre. So to finish ourselves off, it's kind of like this humble reminder of our simple roots. So even though life may seem complicated with the automobile and traffic laws and societal expectations of not dropping your fork and putting your napkin on your lap at restaurants. And hawking radiation and magnetars and comets. It's always good to remember that all of these things break down to very, very, very minute, simple rules that operate over many very small cells. Oh yeah, here's something really cool. Uh, you know the equation uh, d equals rt distance is rate times time. So what's funky is that there's a thing called the Planck time that I, 
I'm not sure if I'm getting this correctly, but if you take the Planck distance, which is the smallest wavelength that a particle wave quanton can have, and divide that by the fastest rate, which is the speed of light, you, you'll get what's called the Planck time, which is like the smallest increment of time that kind of makes any sense, because the smallest number divided by the biggest number is the smallest number, right? And so you can almost think of the Planck time as our real life time step where like time feels fluid and almost liquid and infinitely divisible. But the Planck time, if I'm understanding it correctly, is kind of the indivisible chunk of time at which you cannot divide it any further. It's like the time equivalent of a quark. Ain't that cool. And my apologies to all the more qualified astrophysicists who uh, are, are scowling at what I just misunderstood about it. Or all the less qualified non-astrophysicists who may not understand what exactly all those things were. But <laughs> Yes, but the, the key takeaway is that even though Conway's Game of Life seems like a brutal simplification of reality or this funny, goofy... Um, toy example of reality, we actually have a lot more similarities to Conway's Game of Life than you might think. We are indeed living it. With that, I've been Matt. And I've been Scott. And this has been... The Phantasmagorical Think Tank. Think -tank.